Well, good morning. Well, they, they brought in the closer. Here I am. Brandon's off laying out on a chaise lounge. Somebody's feeding him grapes as he's watching the little people struggle up here. But I'm glad to get, I get a chance to, every once in a while to speak. Uh, there was a high school teacher here in Louisville a few years ago named Susan Lehman. She was a math teacher. And part of the way that she got to know her students every year is she, she did this little exercise. And maybe you've done it in a work situation or something like that. She asked her 16 and 17-year-olds to start brainstorming to determine the top six people they'd like to be stranded on a desert island with. You got that picture? Now, naturally, the students, they began, you know, they started thinking about movie stars and models and athletes and rock stars. One of the students had to be a brown noser actually mentioned the principal's name. But then they began to think about survival. Basic necessities like food became a priority. One of the students recommended Jared from Subway. That didn't go over. Another mentioned Crocodile Dundee. You guys remember that? Crocodile Dundee? Still others, uh, somebody suggested the professor from Gilligan's Island. Now, the teacher reminded them, hey, you're going to have to survive here. One of the things you're going to need is shelter. Well, one of the students said this, hey, put Jesus on the list. He was a carpenter. And then somebody else said, yeah, and if we got sick or hurt, he could heal us. We wouldn't go hungry. He performed. Remember that time he fed like 5,000 people with his kids' lunch? We'd never go hungry. Finally, somebody said, if we had Jesus, we wouldn't need anybody else. Out of the mouth of teenagers. Now, over the last couple of weeks, as Brandon mentioned, we've been talking about the character and the personality of Jesus. You know, he had some of the best people skills. What have we learned about the character and personality of Jesus that could, we could apply to ourselves? Instead of trying to make Jesus into our image, we want to be more like him. Jesus had the best people skills. As Brandon introduced a couple of weeks ago, you know, he was always interested in other people. He asked great questions. A couple of weeks ago, he talked about having difficult conversations. And Jesus always dealt with people using grace and truth. He told people, as Brandon said, what they needed to hear. Not what they necessarily wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear and how they needed to hear it. Last week, he talked about having people, what do you call them? Extra grace required folks that just gnaw on us, that get on that last nerve and stand there. But he said, you know what? Uh, Jesus never let people manipulate or control him. He always said, that's not going to work. Remember, Brandon even encouraged us to say, that's not going to work on me. He never used fear or guilt. Uh, last couple of weeks, Marcia and I uh, are looking for a minivan. Yeah, I'm turning in my man card. We had one for years, and hey, we loved it. It did everything we needed it to do. And yes, I'm still going to keep my pickup truck. So I, I can still drive around in that. But we're looking for a minivan. i got to go to the coast 
uh, see my mom three or four times a year, and in this little four-door sedan, it just gets tinier and tinier, especially when I get to my mom's and she's trying to load up our car with stuff to get it out of her house. And so we're going to start looking for a minivan. So we came across someone on Facebook, and one of them was pretty interesting. It looked really nice. We saw these pictures of it, and we went to take a look at it. It's a Toyota Sienna. It's got less than 15,000 miles on it, and it was pretty cheap. And we couldn't figure out, like, why is it so cheap? Well, we come to find out it had been wrecked. And this guy had rebuilt it. Now, Marcia's dad was a body shop guy for years. And uh, she said, I don't think the first 15 years of my life driving, I ever had a single car. I normally had two or three cars that were pieced together. And that's what I drove because that's what dad always got me. And so we weren't, and we, uh, my truck had been wrecked. And, and I got 313,000 miles on it. I bought it when it had 32,000 miles on it. It had been wrecked, so we're, we're cool with it. But anyway, um, I wanted to make sure it was okay. It looked really good, but I've got a good friend of mine in my small group. His name's Nathan, and Nathan's a great mechanic. Uh, works at one of the big car dealers up in uh, Sellersburg. And uh, normally, if I'm going to do something like that, I'm going to run it past Nathan. So I went and bought, got this, uh, this uh, van, and I drove it over to Nathan's shop, and I had him look at it. And within 15 minutes, he had found five things that were wrong, that just wasn't, wasn't right. Something was peculiar about it. And as I'm looking at the van, it looks perfectly fine. But I'm looking at it kind of whole. He's getting down on his knee. He's looking down the angles. He's opening the doors and looking inside the doors. He's crawling underneath. And matter of fact, at one point, we opened the hood, and he noticed something down in the bottom of the fender, the front bumper. He's like, that doesn't look right. And he went to kind of push it back in, and the whole thing jiggled. The whole front bumper jiggled. The headlights jiggled. And he went, that's peculiar. And he looked down underneath. It had no bracket to hold on the front bumper. It was held on by about three screws. Matter of fact, you could touch the top of the bumper and the whole thing moved. Now, looking at it, it looked great. And here's the funny thing. I'm, trying, I'm buying it from this guy, and he gives me this long speech that he's not really a body shop guy, but his father was. And his father taught him that, you know, most guys in body shop work, they fix things that, that people see on the outside. It's important that you fix the things that people cannot see. Epic fail. <laughs> Epic fail. Every place we looked that you weren't supposed to be able to see, there was something wrong with it. Matter of fact, it, when you open it up, the whole housing of all the electrical wires that go to this central place, this little housing unit, was just laying on the side of the, of the engine. Like it hadn't been bolted in. He just picked the whole thing up and put it back in. He said, uh, that's not supposed to do that. You know, I looked at it from the outside and it looked like a perfectly good van. And even when I opened up and looked at the, the engine, everything looked like it was in its right place. But you see, Nathan had the experience to look a little deeper. Now I'm going to talk today about another skill that Jesus had when he dealt with people. And here's my simple statement. Jesus sees people differently than culture. Amen? 
Jesus sees people differently than culture sees them. You remember that story of David in the, in the Old Testament when Samuel is going, God calls Samuel to go find a new king. They're going to anoint somebody that's going to be the next king. And so he goes to Jesse's house, who has a bunch of sons, and he lines them all up. They're all there in the lineup. And Samuel's looking at each one of them, and he goes to the first one like, surely this is the one. And God's like, nope. And, and here's the famous verse from that story. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David wasn't even in the lineup. He was out tending sheep. And when he went through the lineup of sons and realized that none of them were there, that God had chosen, they had to pull David in out of the field for him to be anointed. You see, culture looks at the outside and makes judgments all the time. But you know what? I got to confess, I do the same thing, don't you? I wonder about us as a church. How do we see it? How do we see people? You know, I don't know why you're here. Maybe it's a habit. It's Sunday, so you go to church. Maybe it's a good place to make connections. Your friends and your family are here, and you want to see them every week. Maybe it's the highlight of your week. I don't know. But what I do know is this. It's Jesus that pulls us together. We are all called to be like Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this, One thing Christianity can never be is moder- moderately important. The Apostle, Paul, excuse me, the Apostle John wrote this of Jesus, that he came full of grace and truth. He not only demonstrated truth, he upheld God's absolute grace and truth. And over and over in Scripture, we see pictures of why Jesus is the central figure of Christianity. When the adulterous woman was dragged before Jesus, he invited anyone there to cast the first stone. And when no one did, he forgave her past, and he challenged her to sin no more. When the rich young ruler came, the Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Despite the fact that this man rejected Jesus' offer. Matthew and Zacchaeus, both crooked tax collectors. The demon-possessed man, completely out of hope and way out of control. Each one was transformed by Jesus' grace and truth. Now those examples are just a few of the picture of Jesus and how he treated those who came across his path. You see, culture makes judgments on those people. Some of them were discarded as broken and useless. Others were highly regarded, the rich young ruler, highly regarded for their status. Some were despised, the tax collectors, and they were deemed outcasts like the demon-possessed man. But I want to talk about another story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's one of the ones I go to all the time. And we're going to talk a little bit about it today. If you got your Bibles, take a look in the book of Luke, 7th chapter. Let's read. Luke 7, 36. 
Now one of the Pharisees had invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, there's a lot of interesting things about this text. First of all, that a Pharisee who was thinking Jesus was pretty much public enemy number one. First of all, that a Pharisee would invite Jesus to come dine at his home. Maybe he saw Jesus as a spectacle. You know, a couple of the other passages that talk about this story, they mention that this guy was, used to be a leper. Maybe Jesus healed him. We don't know why he invited Jesus. Maybe he just wanted to be, be popular and have the most popular guy in town show up at his house. But suddenly this woman breaks in. And she had quite a reputation. A reputation that if you were a man of character in the town, you would have nothing to do. You would not want to be seen talking to her. And none of the women, they, they would not want to have anything to do with her as well. And she was overwhelmed with guilt. And she didn't know what to do about it. You know, typically in this day, when Jesus was lit, walking on the earth, a meal like this would have probably been held in a courtyard. And the public would probably have been invited to just come, not necessarily be a part of the meal, but they could stand on the outside of the courtyard and watch what was going on, especially because a rabbi had been invited, and they probably thought he would probably do some teaching. So this woman came with the crowd. We really don't know why she came. Maybe it was because she witnessed a gentle treatment of a woman caught in adultery. Maybe that woman caught in adultery was her. Maybe she heard Jesus tell the lame man, your sins are forgiven. Or maybe she was in the crowd when Jesus said, I've come to save this, the lost, to seek and save the lost. Whatever her motive, she was racked with guilt and she was desperate for hope. And we don't know what this woman had really done in her life. Now, most commentators will tell you that she was probably a prostitute. Her reputation was such that no one, a man, would ever talk to her. And no woman of dignity would be seen with her. She was all alone. You know, what a stark picture of the emptiness of sin. The good news is she came to Jesus. The bad news is, when she got there, everything that she did was pretty much socially unacceptable. Luke explains it this way. Jesus was reclining at the table. Now, in those days, you didn't sit at a table and eat a meal like we do. You, were, you sat on these low couches, and the table was very low to the ground. And you basically laid with your feet behind you, leaning on an elbow and using your free hand to eat. And so if this woman had come with the crowd and at the edge of the of the courtyard, Jesus' feet would have been right in front of her. Now, at least she didn't have to crawl under the table. But she did come right up to where his feet were. And then unfortunately, when she got there, 
she started to cry. And I'm sure she probably told herself, don't cry. Don't lose it. But she did. And once she did, she was completely overcome with emotion. And from that moment on, she had lost all awareness of the crowd. By now, everybody had seen what was going on, and it became uncomfortably quiet. And she began to cry, and her tears started falling on Jesus' feet. So without thinking, she let down her hair. Another sociable taboo when she let her hair down. And she was trying to use her hair to dry his feet. And if things couldn't get any worse, when she got down there to dry his feet, now she wouldn't think about kissing Jesus on the cheek. She wouldn't even think about grabbing his hand and kissing his hand. But as she was at his feet, she just started smothering his feet with her kisses. Now those eyebrows that were raised, they turned to gasp at that point. This woman was completely unaware of the crowd. She wouldn't have dared to kiss Jesus, but now she was kissing his feet over and over again. Now, to put it in perspective, let's say this morning, John's up here leading worship, and some woman busts through the doors, comes up here, gets on the stage, and lays at his feet and starts kissing John, John's feet while he's leading worship. Now, would that be a little awkward? Would that be really weird? Would you ever forget it? <laughs> Probably not. That's the mark that this, this situation made. Now, it sounds humiliating to us, but it was probably the most beautiful moment of this person, this young lady's life. And see, Jesus accepted her with his words, though they probably never met. He had made her feel human again, a person of value. And so she took the only thing of value that she had, an alabaster jar of perfume. And instead of dabbing a drop and putting it on his feet, she turned the whole thing upside down and poured it all out. There was nothing holding it back. This perfume was a tool of her trade. And when she poured it out, she was literally giving up that part of who she had been. She was laying her heart out and her soul before him in a way that she had never done before. And yet Simon, the self-righteous Pharisee, wasn't exactly, oh, he, he was not about to give this woman any kind of credit for her display of affection. You see, when he saw that, he had something else in mind. Take a look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said, not out loud, he said it to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, it's true. Simon didn't necessarily criticize her out in public, but Jesus was well aware of his heart. In Mark's account of this story, even Jesus' disciples criticized the woman for wasting the perfume. That cost like a year's worth of wages. The best thing she could have done was to at least give it, sell it and give what she made to the poor. Even Jesus' own friends criticized this woman. But you see, Jesus sees people differently than culture sees them. Several years ago, an uh, artist named Stephen Curtis Chapman You've probably heard about him if you've been around church for a while. 
written a lot of great songs. And one of the songs, one of my favorites he wrote, was a song about the eyes of Jesus. It's called His Eyes. And one of the lines in that song said that Jesus had the ability to see through the fault to the need. Sometimes we can get so caught up on people's actions and their hang-ups, and we can throw flames of judgment their way, never seeing their heart, never seeing the hurts that led to the poor choices that they've made. Now, Jesus went on to say to Simon the Pharisee, look in verse 41. He tells him a little story. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Do you get the picture there? A man who had been forgiven a $500 debt would be more grateful than the one who had been forgiven a 50 The more sinful a person had been, the more sins had had been forgiven, usually meant the more gratitude he tends to show. Now that doesn't mean our goal should be to go out and sin as much as we can so that we can learn more about gratitude. It simply means that we should grasp the magnitude of our sinfulness so that we can learn to appreciate what Jesus did for us. You see, Simon was focused on this woman's sin. He had no grasp of his own. He was so focused on her sin, he failed to notice his own. You see, I don't think Jesus was saying that the prostitute had been ten times more sinful than Simon. I think Jesus was saying she had been ten times more aware of her own sin than Simon was of his. And therefore, she was that much more grateful. So let me ask you guys, of how much have you been forgiven? Does your worship reflect how much you've been forgiven? As you were singing these songs today, how did you react? Could somebody look at your acts of worship and know what Jesus means to you? You see, when Jesus sees you, your life changes. I read a story about a mom who had taken her little girl to the pediatrician. And the girl nervously was sizing up the doctor as he came into the examination room. Now, she didn't say a word to him when he looked at her and said, good morning. The doctor was pretty good with kids. And so he shined the little flashlight into the little girl's ears, and he said, what do you think we're going to find in here? Do you think Mickey Mouse is in there? And the little girl giggled, but she didn't say anything. And then he got his little tongue depressor out, and he said, open your mouth and say, ah. And he said, "Uh, who do you think we'll find in here? You think we'll find the cookie monster? And she giggled again, and this time she shook her head and said, And then he took out a stethoscope to listen to her heart. And he put his stethoscope on her chest. Who do you think we're going to find in here? You think Wonder Woman's in here? And then she finally said something. She said, no, Jesus is in my heart. Wonder Woman's on my underwear. (laughs) 
out of the mouth of babes, right? When Jesus sees your life, your life changes. You know, there are a lot of people mentioned in the Bible that really screwed things up. And God used them anyway. Aren't we glad? One of them was Paul, the guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament, the guy that planted all the churches in Europe. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul said about himself. First Timothy was talking to a young preacher named Timothy, and he said, wrote these words. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, how do you think today's cancel culture would have dealt with Saul, Paul? How do you think they would have dealt with him? Now, let's take a look at the rest of the story. Take a look at verse 44. Jesus continued and he said, Simon, and look at the question he asked Simon. Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my tears with her she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she had poured perfume on my feet. As the head of the house, it was important that Simon were to greet Jesus at the door, a rabbi with a kiss, because that was the custom. And he should have anointed Jesus with oil on his head. And he should make sure someone was there to wash Jesus' feet before he reclined at the table. Simon didn't do any of that, but the woman did. She washed his feet with her tears of repentance. She anointed his feet with oil of humility. She kissed his feet as a sign of her love. Simon criticized that. Jesus defended it. In spite of all of her actions, she had shattered every rule of etiquette. And she had probably even caused Jesus to blush a little bit. But he quietly accepted her clumsy expression of love and devotion. Now I want you to see something important here. Look at verse 47. Listen to what Jesus said. Therefore I tell you, For her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven of little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, I once read that the the name Jesus literally means God to the rescue. That's the essence of Christianity. We were desperately lost. We could not save ourselves. We all seemed hopeless. And along came Jesus, God to the rescue. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Sinful people were his only mission. So what did he do? He forgave this woman her past. 
and he promised her a future. And he sent her away in peace. Because you see, Jesus looks at people differently than the way culture sees them. So let me ask you a question. What did you come in here with today? Do you know what it's like to mess your life up so badly and the past just won't let you go? Have you ever been overwhelmed with guilt and sin? Maybe you're carrying a load of baggage right now that you cannot let go. Or it won't let go of you. The woman who had anointed Jesus' feet experienced the very best of Jesus' people skills. And Graham Lott said this, Our ultimate aim in life is not to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, or even problem-free. Our ultimate aim in life is to bring glory to God. This woman had a beautiful act of worship for Jesus. Now let me, let me, sh- let me tell you what else happened. Jesus went on to say, whenever my story's told, this woman's story's going to be told. You know what's interesting? That there's only two stories in the book, in the, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only two stories that are told in all four Gospels. One of them is about the res- crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I'd say that's pretty important. The other is about a woman who anointed Jesus. You see, Jesus said, wherever my story's told, your story's going to be told. Because he saw people differently than what culture sees them. Now let me ask you this question. When you, when you look at other people, what lens do you use? What lens do you see people through? Is it the lens of culture? One that may condone other people's actions, like a lot of people in our society do today? Oh yeah, just live and let live. Let them do whatever. They just condone it. Or they criticize it. Or they cancel. They cancel that person. Or when you see other people, do you look through the lens of Christ? Do you see them with grace and truth? Do you see them with compassion? When you see them, do you look at them gently and with humility, knowing that how Jesus looked at you? You know, uh, as we uh, close out today, I want you just to think about that. Culture looks a whole lot different at people. And although we condone a lot, as soon as somebody messes up, boy, we're ready just to throw them to the, to the curb. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't do that? The very best people skills of Jesus was how he dealt and how he looked at other people. And when he looks at us, he sees us differently than what the world does. And when he sees us, our lives have been changed. Amen? Has your life been changed? If it has, I hope when you, this week, look at others, you will be looking through the lens of Christ. And you will see through the fault to their need. And maybe you might have a great conversation with them because somebody did that with you.
Now, as you leave today, uh, we've got some folks out in the lobby that are going to hand you a little uh, card that you guys can talk about on the way home. And Brandon's rules still apply. No arguments. Just spirited discussions. Okay? But talk about it on the way home and maybe some uh, action plans for what your household is going to look like this week. Let me pray with you and then you guys will be done. Father, I thank you for today and I thank you for uh, uh, Jesus most of all and the incredible story of how he affects people's lives to where sometimes we can lose all sense of ourself when we are in his presence and we can just fall at his feet and just show our gratitude for what he has done for us. I thank you for this story, the example of this woman. And now 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this lady with a bad reputation, but a beautiful story. And Father, there are a lot of folks here today, including myself, with a bad reputation. But because you're in our life, we have a beautiful story. And Father, I just pray that we will see others in the same light. So I just pray your blessing on these folks today as they head out, that we can be your church and be your eyes this week. In Christ's name, amen. You guys have a great week.